This is Fawn Tao, and I just wanted to thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Every Little Bit Counts. This week, I have another guest. I am very excited to bring uh, more guests to these podcasts because I think there's so many great topics to uncover, different healing modalities, various spiritual um, enlightenments that we could bring. And today I have with me Nisha June. And just going to give a little overview of Nisha and about some of her background and how we've come to meet. So Nisha is a certified intuitive coach. She's an adept facilitator of Ayurvedic and yoga consciousness, trained as an osteopath and human nutritionalist that weaves the sacred feminine Shakti balance hysterically for the ascent of the whole. She was born in England and a large part of her childhood was spent in India until she moved to England for schooling. She then married and then lived for 10 years in New Zealand. She's currently back in England and I have uh, connections with Nisha and we're part of a loom group and I get to hear about all these exciting uh, trips that she's making throughout Europe whenever she has the opportunity. Um, and she, she will probably talk a bit about that on, on the, the podcast today. She connects to many cultures and customs and sacred places and is an intuitive earth energy empath. She instills the wisdom of naughty purification through our own bodies as a central team theme to the earth naughties. And I think we'll be talking a bit about that as well. She's a consciousness wellness coach who transforms and brings alignment with sacred scientific earth principles. She's committed to health and healing. She bridges the abyss of abandonment so you can experience joy and infuses her healing and her work to the crystalline grid so you could discover the divine dance within and can anchor and radiate high vibrational energy fields of universal love and truth. I am going to post her web link. So as you listen to this podcast, if you're intrigued and find yourself wanting to work and connect with her, um, you will have that source so that you can connect to her directly. So Nisha, welcome. Um, Nisha and I, before I let her jump in here, we are part of a loom. And just to explain, and, and if Nisha wants to comment here after a bit, um, we essentially go through different elements. So you start out as a fire. And you move, as the loom spins, you eventually move through each uh, element. And so you start as fire, then you move to air, then you embody earth, and you finish up as a water goddess or water god, depending on female, male. But um, it has allowed Nisha and I to connect, get to know one another. It's a very supportive space. the loom helps us navigate and and cleanse out things much more quickly because we are in a sacred space of support. Um, and so, right now, I'm in Earth. Nisha, I'm in Air. Nisha's in Earth, and um, we've been navigating through this. So, as we do another spin in the future. Nisha will move to the water space, and then when done with water, she'll go off into the ethers. But Nisha, did you want to comment a bit about the loom, since that's kind of where we met? Well, firstly, just thank you for having me on your podcast, and thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction, and I love how you've brought the loom into this. Yeah, I I mean, the the synchronicity, the energy of our loom, and you're right, it's it's really brought us together. I love that. And I've always worked with the elements, you know, and I've um, done a lot of interviews on how to work with the elements. But when I came across this manifesting dream weaving space, it really allows us to focus in and have these elements become a part of our life. And this is, this is the transformational bit. And this is that is 
which is so exciting. And I'm experiencing it in a brand new way. So I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, you do get a chance to work through all the elements, but you get to focus for yourself on what needs to go. And then, you know, this theme and purification keeps coming up, you know, as we move into the 5D world, the realm. So yeah, it's a beautiful space. And we've We've been quite a journey, haven't we, Fawn? It's been magnificent with the others as well. And we're just having such fun. <laughs> we're really having a great time. It is, it is a lovely space. And what I find um, fascinating is sometimes when you're in an element, you find yourself more challenged. Um, some of them that have gone through an element that we've not necessarily participated in, they're like, oh, this part was really good for this reason. This part I embodied this area i'm i'm now like i think someone mentioned earth and they're like i really struggle in earth like the grounding aspects and getting into that aspect of my life um and i need to work harder at that and and figure out what about that is hard for me so it's interesting what comes up um, when when you're embracing a different element um and i don't think you know until you're in that um uh, space and you're embodying that element and and that's the beauty of of this you know magnificent creation because it's a living workshop so none of us can have any idea preconceived ideas because it is about our authenticity our integrity and what and how we actually work through the external that's what i've noticed right so when i came in as a fire i had no idea what i had to burn it was like the loom set the pace for it and i was absolutely shocked at what had to come through and you know, I've been doing healing work for a long time, but when you're working with clients and working with other people, you do kind of ne neglect yourself in a way, but you do, the, the loom shows you how to use your modality and why you're there, but also has you working on yourself. So purification becomes a massive theme. So there has been so many wonderful things come through that have expanded our consciousness as a group, but also individually. And then you know, um, I've just been really, really been enjoying the journey. Really, I, I mean, I'm a Capricorn. I'm, I, I don't have trouble with Earth, but I've had a lot of people. I meet a lot of people who have what we say in Ayurveda, Vata disposition, which is too much air sometimes, right? Yeah. So people who have too much air can often find it really hard to ground. So one of the beautiful things about the loom is that we always have the Earth sisters come in first to ground, and so that gives them the others the space to then either burn or blow or feel into that energy. And I love that. I love how we work around each element. Um, and this, you know, but there's no definitive way of expressing ourselves about it. You've got to experience it for yourself. That's something that I really um, felt come through for all of us was just like when people ask us, what, what do we do? And apart from form these amazing friendships and really this sisterhood and this brotherhood, we're actually really experiencing something that is a living workshop and we can't often put words to it. It's because it's something that you really feel, but it's so, so filled with integrity, so filled with authenticity for each of us that there's no shortcuts. It's like live your element, breathe your element and let it teach you what it's supposed to. And that for me is really, really exciting. When I think to add to that, what I love about the loom, and I'm sure people are like, I'm not sure I really understand it. Um, mm. But we we were invited by someone to come mm. into this loom space. And then we made the decision as to whether or not we wanted to participate. So it is kind of an invite only. Mm. Um, but if you're, interested i will have my web web uh, site available i have a contact you can reach out to me submit your question say i'm interested in learning more about the loom and we can we could share more information for you but um the expansion like nisha i had not met you 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 were brought in by someone that we both mutually knew from different capacities Mm -hmm. And then we both opted to be part of it, and we ended up getting to know one another through that process. And mm -hmm. so you never know who's going to be in your loom, essentially, mm -hmm. because, you know, you have one water, two earth, and four airs, and then we invite the fires in. So 
and there will be eight fires before the loom actually spins and you move to the next uh, element. But um, you don't necessarily know because of the different people inviting um, people into the loom space who exactly you might have the opportunity to meet, what their spiritual uh, modalities are. Some don't have modalities. Um, some have a lot of modalities. Um, so you just don't know what you're going to get ex- to experience, uh, what you might learn about one another and their modalities and, and their spiritual journey. Uh, so it's, and then everybody is, it's a very safe, protected space. Um, and then you're there to support one another and, and lift each other up and, and help each other through your elements. So it's a really lovely, uh, place to be. For those that are not familiar with the loom and some of the aspects of it. I mean, it really is. And for many of us, you know, when we've partaken in our training as healers and learned these modalities, we've then felt quite um, left to our own devices in the real world, right? So you, you, you come into an academy or a school and it's, it can either be really big and almost to the point where you, you, you know, you just go through a process. But what I was really looking for when I, when I was a healer was that I wanted to meet like-minded people. I wanted to collaborate. I was so over the competitiveness and I really wanted to start collaborating with people. So when, you know, it's, it's like the loom invites you. It's not something that you're even control of. It's like if you feel something and you've come on the call, it, it it's like the loom takes care of it. And at, it's certainly, I think that's been our experience, you know, and it, and it's drawn the right people to us. And, um, from all the similar reasons, we have so much synchronicity to the point that even our soul families are similar. And that's quite very, very intriguing. Um, and, you know, we can talk about this for ages, but what I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, what I really, really loved about it is the collaboration. I mean, we've got to this stage, but there's more coming, you know, and, we're all in the business of wanting to make our world better and we're over the competitiveness. We're really using the loom to manifest our dreams and it's working from what I can see. It's really working. So I'm going to move from the loom conversation to more of the conversation about Nisha and her experiences and her work. So something that Nisha has been very focused in is you know, humanity and all the imbalances that we're experiencing and seeing here on earth and in the sacred union and the consequences to humanity if we don't take a look at those imbalances. So what do you think is the central issue of all these distortions to the earth grid in this era? Oh, that's a great question. So You know, Fawn, right now, everywhere, we're really experiencing and recovering the sacred feminine. I mean, this really is a central issue of our times. And the healing, the healing or central issue is the theme of war. It's everywhere, isn't it? It's between families, between parents and their children. It's there at the workplace. It's there on the roads. It's in the car park lots. It's in competition in businesses. I mean, it's so deeply woven into the human psyche that we've lost touch with what, what the ancestors, what the ancient traditions really, really wanted to share with us. And, and that's a really big part of what I like to bring through on the grid work because it's the ancestors, you know, and it's there in the stones and the sacred sites and the vortexes and what I work with myself is the earth nadis, but also the chakras of the earth to bring that balance back. But we can't do it necessarily in a 3D level. We've got to be in a place of, of our own being where we have the balance between the sacred union and we see the world from a different dimension. We're experiencing the world from a different dimension. So this recovering of the sacred feminine is really, really key. Because the ancestral traditions 10,000 years ago was all built around the divine feminine. So it's beautiful that we have an opportunity in this era now to bring that back in a way, you know, as we move through the Aquarian era to really see that come through. And we obviously, there's 
um, aspect of the control is trying to prevent us from doing that. But if we're really grounded, really sure of our modalities, or even the people that we're associating with, you know, we are already building this amazing new world, this really humane world. It's really interesting because I've, I've, I've heard so many people in the spiritual space talking about we are in the divine feminine right now. Now, I know that you've traveled and you were talking a bit about Asian traditions. Um, and I know that you've been called to many places from the Aboriginal deserts of Uluru, Tranquility in New Zealand, the stone circles of England, across Europe, um, the lands of Ireland, the ancient lands of Egypt, Machu Picchu, Machu Picchu, India, China. What do these ancient traditions want us to know in these times? In a nutshell, they really are showing us that we've forgotten that we are so deeply woven with the natural world. And we have to really start thinking about working methodically with the cellular imprints of war and learning to embody those feminine earth principles from the ancient traditions. So for example, recently I was called to go to Malta and I was blown away by the, you know, the, the stones that, that predate Stonehenge. And so I went to, I thought I'd just learn a little bit more about the ancient feminine there and what they call Gigantia. Um, and what they would have been trying to do in terms of changing consciousness. So, you know, this ancestral tradition that runs through all the lands in, you know, in, in all through the continents. It's, it's absolutely everywhere, but that's very similar. They're all basing, based their traditions on the feminine. And that means that, it, you know, if, even if you think of, you know, you're a mother, I'm a mother, you know, and our mothers who birthed, <laughs> you know, they, yep. they're really about war, are they? We're, I mean, as a woman, we've never really, war doesn't really come into our psyche when we've given birth, for example. When it's about the love. And for me, it's, I, I can, I feel that quite strongly, you know, is that if women are leading or the traditions were trying to teach us how to love the land, there would be less war. There'd be less distortion. So really what we're, what we're, we're learning again, 10,000 years later is that we can't really continue to repeat it, to repeat those past mistakes. Somewhere along the timeline, the ancient feminine, the traditional feminine was put, was hidden. And the, you know, the, the distorted masculine came in and it, everything changed. This was about 5,000 years ago. And that created such imbalances. Um, and, it went on to create wars. And so when we're coming from the mind, right, when we're actually coming from the mind, like with all the wars that are going on, that have always gone on, even from medieval times, we look at the history books, it's always been there. But when we come from the mind, we're creating and we continue to create those distortions. And what the ancient feminine traditions really teach us, and you can feel it when you go to these sacred places, is that we we come from the heart. We literally mm. come from the heart. And there's such yeah. a difference between how we feel in our hearts and when we are, you know, more cognitive or when we're more coming from the head, if you like. So the biggest thing right now is how do we balance our multidimensional self, but keep coming from a place that's sacred, keep coming from that center place. It's so interesting. Like, I know that your aspects are very much in the feminine. Um, and I think what ties into that is just here living in the U.S. and watching political environment, uh, the divisiveness, polarities, uh, more conversations about not talking about slavery. And that's something that's part of our history. Or, you know, going back and references to Hitler and the Jewish times. And, and I think what's forgotten and, and not wanting to talk about it or 
push this down is, is the fact that these are our lessons. These were our opportunities to learn and they should be used as educational points and conversations, not something that should be like, I don't want shame or we don't, we shouldn't be shamed for what we did in the past. And it's not really about that. It's about using that education to do better from my perspective. And I feel like your studies with the ancient and the feminine, going back to all these various sites, is is very similar in that respect. Am, am I correct in stating that? You know, absolutely. I mean, even when, you know, our children are at school and they're learning from the history books, I mean, when we were at school, we had to learn about the Industrial Revolution, right? We didn't really get to learn a lot about history. But now what's happening is they're actually bringing into schools that kind of history. I mean, I, I think, you know, um, especially here, they they were talking about American history. They go through the different continents and they talk about the slavery, which I think is fantastic. And they're getting kids to talk about what happened. So the homework projects, right, that coming back are like, what have we learned? What are the lessons? Okay. And I think our children, because every generation evolves, so we're different from our parents and our parents grew up in times of war. I mean, our grandparents were, you know, associated with World War One, World War Two. It's in our blood. It's in our psyche. It's like the most normal thing in families to fight, right? And it's, it has to kind of stop. But our children are being shown through the history lessons, slavery, war, and they're getting stronger. Every generation is getting stronger and they're being shown now how to balance and how to stop that. And hopefully, you know, we are creating a generation of children that are asking the right questions. How do we stop this? But before we can even do that, we have to save ourselves as adults, right? I mean, we can only lead our children if we know how to heal us, our own wounds, right? So, I mean, having done this healing work for many, many years, I really don't think there's any doubt that our entire humanity is traumatized. And I I don't say that lightly, right? There's so many healers. You know, I, I really, I, you probably agree. But yeah, I, yeah, I do. I agree. I agree. And it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. And there, honestly, there are people that really believe they are not. And it's not that it's our generation that's traumatized. This is 10,000 years old. We are part of the ancestral chain in, you know, whether we believe in karma or not. We've, you know, that's not what's really relevant. It's just that we carry this ancestral DNA in our blood. And what's really interesting, I was having a conversation with somebody this morning about their children, and we were talking about the the reptilian brain, and we were talking about the mind. And my client was saying to me, how do I get my child to think about being in the heart? And I said, that's such an amazing, amazing question, because one of the things the kids have really confused about is that there's they're always at school and always being always doing 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 aren't they it's like it's everywhere mm-hmm. it's like do 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 and the walls are filled so the minute you come into a school it it's like the walls come at you it's like wow these kids are just, just so in the head but where do we ever have an opportunity to teach our children nurture them from the heart at school i mean does it go on it, well, they've got well-being classes, but when my daughter comes home from school, she's like, you know, well-being should be about talking about spiritual things and feeling really good in the heart. We're not doing that. And I'm like, well, feed it back to the school, right? So, um, but what I thought was really interesting was the primitive brain versus the frontal cortex. And it's like, how do we say to our kids, you know, when we all get angry or we all want to, you know, say if sister wants to hit a brother or a brother wants to hit a sister, whatever, how do we get them to stop and just be in the moment and say, don't war, don't do that, come from the heart, right? Yeah, I agree. Yes, I'm experiencing it. And No, go ahead. I was just, I'll I'll comment after you, do you finish? Go ahead. No, I just, I just think it was beautiful the way the synchronicity was, you know, that I've, kind of wanted to talk to you about the central theme of pain and hurting and trauma. And 
um, a parent was asking me this morning is how do I get my child to stop being in the head and how do I get them to think more about the heart? And um, that was just, it was just so beautifully orchestrated, you know, that I thought that just wanted to share that for a moment. Yeah. No, it's, it's beautiful and it's true because uh, we've altered and really put a lot of consideration into how we are raising our children during these times. And I mean, we've moved out to the country from suburbia to expand their way of thinking because I think we were caught up too much in a bubble. And I'm like, they're not getting the downtime that they need to get in that experimental, um, be quiet, enjoy nature. Um, and, And we talk a lot about having conversations around your emotions, not physical. Mm -hmm. Um, So I talk to my kids about feeling through what it is that they're feeling. If you're sad, you're angry and, and we have that, but I'm like, I agree with you. I I see so many people. It's like scheduling kids so much outside of school on top of school. And I'm like, it's, it's really unfortunate in a way because I think it, you need to allow for that downtime and that space to hear yourself within and and allowing yourself to teach your children to do that so that they can express themselves, so that they can learn to communicate, so they can learn to think outside of all these schedules and the chaos and the lessons and and the school and things. And I, I, I do feel with technology and the media and people thinking that we have to just cram so much for them to excel in this world. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, it's, it's exactly. so much the focus and it's, it's not and necessarily it's all around the why, isn't it? It's all around the yeah. why, why, why. And this is something that came through with um, my clients this morning. It's like, why don't we just stop, uh, get our kids to ask us what, what am I feeling? What am I experiencing? Change the why to the what. And yeah. it's going to change the way they approach self-reflection as well. Because ultimately, when we're coming from the heart, we get a chance to not only go inwards, but we do get that downtime. We do get that moment to breathe and to self-regulate. And um, even as in the healing work, you know, what's the first thing we do when we are with our clients? It's just take a breath. Just take mm-hmm. a breath. And let things go. You know, just yeah. be in the human. And then we can start to ask ourselves some questions, you know? Um, and I, and I agree with you, but the questions that the kids are asking or we're asking ourselves, even when we're trying to get some downtime is why is this happening to me? Why? But rather, if we, we're really looking for a lesson, we've got to start saying, what is going on here? How can I observe this differently? You know, so it's a lot of it is. Are we asking ourselves the right questions? Because we're well, still coming at it from the head in a lot of in a lot of places, you know, and not from the heart, right? Yeah. Right. Well, and, and two of that is our. I had to think about this in my life and and getting a life coach and starting on my journey. It was really about: Have you ever looked at what you wanted for yourself and what you love and what inspires you and and that's conversation with our children because we were brought brought here with gifts and things that light us up and passions. And I think sometimes it's more directionally like the parent goes, I want you to achieve this. I want you to look at this kind of career. I want you going down this path, doing this sports, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, are we taking the time as parents to go, what lights you up? What, what, what is inspiring you? Where, where's the creativity coming in? What do you want to accomplish in this lifetime? And then help support them with the tools and, and the teachings and things around those things that they're inspired and lit up about. Because I think in, in, with the next generation, so much of the success is going to be in what lights you up versus forcing or driving the narrative down a certain path um, with our children. And I think that's getting lost as well. And and again, it's like what comes from the heart to your point. 
is if you allow someone to go, what do I love? What, what, exactly. what comes from my heart? What are my passions? Totally. Then, then you uncover more of that. And, and I'm, I'm questioning, like we were talking about saving the planet. What does that really mean? And what can we do? Are you, yeah. do you, do you associate that with conversation we're having? Or do you view that in, in different, different areas as well? It's really interesting because when I think, you know, and I've seen it a lot working sort of through the grid work, I suppose a lot, there's a lot of people doing grid work, but what we're not here to save the planet. Mother Earth is able to regenerate herself. Yes, we have some real, you know, controllers out there who are destroying our planet. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Yeah. But if we keep looking at the world from a 3D reality, you know, no way. It's not even worth working on it because there is too much distortion. So when I hear people saving the planet, the first thing I think about is, well, how about we just get into the, get into saving ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. If we really understand what that means, because, you know, if we try and go out there with all our distortions and our imbalances and our ego minds, right? thinking that we've got a holy grail of grails and the the ark the covenant and stuff like that you know it's just it's more ego we're adding to our environment and what we really want to do is come out of the head and live our multidimensional reality which is a beautiful framework because it addresses our values and our morals and our ego and our cognitive but also our heart space and you know when we understand i think that we are able to save ourselves first and each other, we've really got to start looking at the planet and say, well, hang on, Mother Earth has been around for billions of years. She's managed to regenerate for eons, and she's going to keep on regenerating for eons. But what about humanity? What is going on there? Because we're we're the 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 clock is ticking it's literally ticking and you know 15% they tell me of the population is awake and conscious consciously living it's such a small portion yeah i mean quality versus quantity but if we really look at and understand you know where we are as a, as a, as a species we are, are we're pressing the self destruct button so Surely when we're talking about saving the planet, what we're really trying to say is why, you know, shouldn't we just be saving ourselves, learning to love each other, learning to hold space for another, learning to come from the heart and really master our regulation so that we don't partake in war anymore. That's what's really going to save us. That's what's going to really save the planet is when we're all loving each other. Well, I think, um, how that ties really well into the healing space is um, like I've come down this path to start healing myself. And then what I realized in healing myself, I'm also healing my family because I learned to figure out and how to manage what triggers me and having a healthier conversation and more balance, looking at ways to balance the home life better. And by doing so, then the trickle effect becomes your spouse, your children, maybe your siblings, your parents, and then potentially your friendship pool. And, and those of us that have started that dynamic, it becomes a bit of a trickle effect from, from my view. And then as us as healers being trained going, wait a minute, we've done so much work in this space and saw such great results. Maybe we can take and expand that and start working on other people. And then they become the trickle effect. And then that continues to grow. And, and that's our effort in trying to work through this humanity aspect of if we fix these things within us, then we become better. And then it expands to family, friends, et cetera. And then those of us that choose to move on with it as a profession and do it for others, building on that even further. So I think there's that expansion to 
build on that 15%. Absolutely. As you were speaking, I just saw the flower of life. So I, I just saw the vibratory field expand, right? And it's so Uh true because when we work on ourselves, we work on our families. And I've seen that. I've experienced that. And it's really that we have to remember that we're spiritual beings. We're energy beings just on this planet for such a short time. So how can we, what can we do here? What are we supposed to do here? And there is so much intergenerational trauma, so much. It's like, it's just there. It's woven into everything, right? So if blessed enough to come across a mentor or a healer and be able to do the work and, um, you know, having sort of met other healers and certainly being in our own loom, we all speak the same language. We understand where we're at with our healing and what, why our clients come to us. And they see it, they experience it. And then it's a natural expansion into this flower of life, into this vibratory field, because everything has an aura. And so when we're vibrating at a high vibration and we're sending out all this beautiful intention and we've literally, because the work involves emotional, um, releases, doesn't it? And when you understand dimensional work, 3D with work and 4D work and 5D work, well, we're actually trapped in the fourth dimension. So a lot of what we're doing through the quantum healings and through our modalities is understanding that we have to be in touch with our feelings and our emotions, heal our own wounds. And then it's like this uplift when we've healed ourselves, our confidence grows, we receive but our vibratory field expands and then that gives us permission to, you know, help others and then others and, and so forth. So, and I think that's really what we're here to do. We're here, we're here as whether you're, you're not here to save the planet, but even as somebody who is an indigenous person who, who's here to look after the land, it's still about vibratory fields. It's still the same, isn't it? It's about humanity's vibratory field and how we put that out there. And so if we're all doing the healing work and we're all trying to do the heal our trauma, then we're going to end up having and working with this wonderful higher dimensional energy that is going to expand. And you know what, Fawn, what's really interesting when I listen to the indigenous people, they've actually started to talk about putting a protective shield around Mother Earth, which is really beautiful because I think that's something we can do when we are in sacred union with ourselves as divine feminine and divine masculine, our vibratory field expands and we can contribute to working with indigenous people who are now actually collaborating more and more and coming together to say the same thing, which is like, you know, yes, We've done the work on ourselves. We can create a vibratory field and put it around the earth. And I think that's something very special. Well, and I think that's with the expansion, right? And and even like leveraging this platform, like a, a podcast to have these conversations and open people's minds to the possibilities. And I think even in my work, I'm finding myself being more intrigued with caring for nature, caring for the environment. Um, Even my kids have become very concerned about their presence in on the earth, on the planet and what they do in treating and how they're treating the planet. So I think when you, you do the work and you come into that loving space and you learn to heal, everything starts to shift on what you see and what you perceive. And it, it it goes back to that tri- trickling effect. It expands everywhere. It expands in the people, and then they expand it to others. It expands to the environment and Mother Earth. It it starts to radiate in all aspects of your life, which is really the foundation and fundamentals of the healing aspect, mm-hmm. from my observation. I, I agree with you. I think that's that is really so beautiful it's about understanding that love it's really generating that love and you know when we are so awake to that love 
we see through the 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 process of war, right? We see it. And we're like, no, I'm not gonna go there. I don't want to go there. I'm I'm just gonna be in my heart and I'm just gonna, you know, it's send out this this resonance. And it, you know, it's not like we're here on our own. We've got lots of help. We've got a lot of help. And we need to ask for that help. So it, you know, there are, there are beings, there are spirit beings who are here to help us. And we just have to ask because we have free will, right? So we have to yeah. with those beings who know much more than we do as humans, but they're there. And that's something else to tap into, you know, when we're really connected to the heart and we're really yeah. living from that heart center. You know, we know where it's going. We know it's about the the aura and the vibratory field, but then we get the help come in to support us and it expands even further. Well, someone um, that I had done a session with, um, I listened to her clips and things and she puts out these um, suggestive or awareness types things. And one of the things that she does that I think is so beautiful, and I apply it in various ways myself, but um, when we're in this space and we see someone who's struggling, like she might even see a homeless person who is is asking for money, um, she envisions putting them in a beautiful light of love and light and protection and keeping them safe and keeping them cared for. So just even projecting that mm-hmm. energy, or like you said, with the in- indigenous people doing it with the earth, sometimes mm-hmm. I will sit on my lawn. And I'll bring in the energies and I will, I will bring in the, you know, the, the healing of the planet, the, um, the, uh, I know we have the, the melting of the, the poles and things like that. And I just focus on the healing energy of it. And you can feel it literally in your hands and around you as you focus on that space. And it's like, whatever is needed, whatever, you know, life force energy that needs to come through to help heal it. Let's bring that through at that time. And I'm like, you could project that energy towards people. You can project it towards our planet. There's so many ways that we could take that energy and set an intention of how we want it to heal, how we want it to support and how we want it to nurture people. Um, And I think that's a beautiful gift that we become aware of as healers that you can do these things and energetically these people and the environment actually has some kind of experience from that. They do get something. They feel that love. They feel that care. They feel supported because someone took the time to energetically try to bring that to them. Absolutely. And it, it, you know, prayer is a, is a very, very big thing as well, because when we pray, you know, we are actually giving thanks and gratitude, you know, for what we've been given, right? So we, you know, so many people pray and say, stop the war, stop the war, but it never stops, right? And it's like the universe knows and listens to certain sounds and frequencies, but it's when we're praying to stop something, it's not hearing that, it's hearing the word war right? But when we're saying, thank you for this beautiful life, I am so grateful for everything that I have. And I am, you know, I am just at peace. That's what the universe gives us. You you know, you've experienced that and I've experienced that, but it's about the use of our language, what we're saying, how we're saying it. So whether it's prayer or healing work or setting intention, you know, we want, when we come from the heart, we're actually at a much different frequency to the mind. I mean, you know, heart maths has given us so much information about the heart. And what I love about it is that when I work with the nadis of the body, and it kind of translates into the earth nadis, I guess, but, you know, we, well, there are 14 nadis that come just from the, the tailbone. They call it the kunda, the, the bulb of the, you know, the Vedics call it the kunda. But they travel all the way through the body. Now, it's really interesting because the heart receives four nadis, right? 
but the rest of the body receives the main three, the Shashamna, the Yada, Pingala. But the heart, for some reason, is so connected to the Muladhara chakra, which is the root chakra in our bodies. So there's a real direct connection between the heart and grounding. Okay. Oh, interesting. And so, yeah, so I always remember that when I'm working with the prana, with the, and as a yoga teacher, you know, I work with mana, work with prana, work with chi, work with life force. And the first thing I do is ground, you know, and always connect through the heart. And the practice itself is so liberating because suddenly you're out of your mind and you're straight into that connection with Earth Mother, connection to your body, but love. And I thought, oh, okay, that's, that's kind of interesting, you know, because, um, then what happens is we're creating all this oxytocin in our body, you know, that we just want to hug each other. <laughs> we've had a good yoga session, but, um, you know, what we've done and, and certainly what a lot of spiritual people and healing people who are in the healing profession or practicing tend to do is, always say, come into your heart, then let's get grounded through the root. But the science is actually backing it up now as well. And, you know, heart math's always telling us about the vibratory field of the uh, of the heart. But from the work that I do with the Earth Nadis, I can actually see the direct connection between the heart and the kanda, the, the root and the muladhara chakra, which is, you know, again, brilliant, isn't it? Because it gives us that rationale to say, Okay, so what if I just come into my heart space and I allow for the core to come all the way through my body? I connect down into my root chakra and then carry on down to the earth star. You know, what could that do? And then what if my resonance is about love? What about, what if I am healing whoever I'm healing or whatever prayer I'm saying and whatever thanks I'm giving? That's a vibratory field that's going, that's going to have quite a huge impact wherever you're, you're at. So, so when you, so when you say, cause, um, some of the things that you refer to are things that I'm not as familiar with, but mm -hmm. when you're saying that, um, working with the earth naughties, mm -hmm. this is what you're referring to, how we connect and spread that loving energy through the heart space and going down and visualizing it going into the earth. That's, that's, that's what you're referring to. Yeah, physically, intentionally, however you want to do it, or even in your meditative practice. But what's the first thing we all say as healers is let's come out of the head and drop into the heart, right? It's true. It's, it's true. We do it without even thinking about it. It's like, right, okay, take a breath. Let's just come out of the heart space. Even when, you know, you go to your yoga class, you know, your yoga teacher, the first thing she says is, okay, let's get present on the mat. Let's just let go of our day. Let's get out of the head. Let's open up the heart or if there's you know it, it it really depends on who you're seeing but i always do the same practice let's come into the heart space let's drop down through the root and let's connect with her you know because and we're creating that kundalini energy through our own spinal column so when you've done a practice whether it's meditation or you've done an active meditation or you've done a yoga practice you feel really good because you're anchored in you know, and it's true. Mm. Well, as you're saying that, it's it's interesting because I think some people are like, well, that sounds so weird, or like maybe people that haven't experienced yoga or been able to meditate and come into that space, but like they're proving and 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 you speaking about the earth aspects, and there's more sciences that prove it. Like they're doing if you talk to a plant harshly and a different plant with love and and see how the health of the plant has been seen to do they get everything the same the same sunlight the same you know dirt they bring in you name it the same type of plant and they could do opposites to it and you could see one um get unhealthy and well and one that does really well and looks amazing just by how we send energy and they've talked about or even snowflakes like they've mm -hmm. talked about uh snow or ice like melting of ice and if you project and put negativity how beautiful the ones are and how amazing and unique under like a microscope that they're able to see 
the beauty and then the ones that have the negative energy. So realizing how much energy can impact things and, and connecting our heart space with earth. Like there's such a, it goes back to like, we're all connected. We're all one. Yeah. But it also, I think it does come back to the heart being one because and I come, you know, even when we're in the loom, you know, and we're not, when we're at our most creative, it's when we're all one and we just read, we have this amazing resonance, but actually what that oneness is, is one soul. So the universe is showing us that we're not fragmented parts of the mind. We are coming together as one soul. So we're operating as a, a unit, right? Now, the interesting thing about the two entities, the head and the heart, you know, it's, it's something that we're learning to bridge, but we have like, we always think that we have these emotive and cognitive parts to our body, right? Um, but it's not, it's, it's not, it's not that that's keeping us fragmented. It's not the heart that's keeping us fragmented. It's the mind that's keeping us fragmented. The right? ego. Yeah, but we need the ego to a point. We need the ego for our confidence, but not the arrogance. You know, it's not the, I'm only working from my head. The head, and this is something that always keeps, seems to come up in practice lately when I'm teaching is that when people are coming from their heart, they feel different and they're learning to notice and become self-aware of what they're feeling when they're coming from the head. And it's really becoming quite distinct. It's like when I'm in the headspace, I'm operating differently. But when I'm in the heart space, I'm feeling very different. And what's really interesting is because it is a daily practice of self-awareness and self-reflection. But what's really interesting is when you can see and observe and experience that when you lead from the heart, the mind kind of just follows which is something that we're just not used to in the Western world. We're just, it's just not something we're brought up from the moment we're going to school. We're always taught to be cognitive. We let's think, let's think, let's think. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody comes to us and says, why don't we just feel? Why don't we just, before we take the next class, why don't we just step into our hearts, take a breath and just close down this class and open up and get ready for the next class? Nobody does that, do they? Mm-mm, they don't. But imagine our children going to school and getting to feel the space that they're in and saying, right, I'm getting ready for, you know, my English class A or my French class. But before I do that, I'm just going to take a breath and I'm just going to sit with how do I feel about this class? What's coming up for me? And it takes like five, five seconds to do that take a breath in, take a breath out. And then, yeah, okay. And if every teacher did that for our children at school, can you imagine the results? <laughs> They'd be like calmer. They wouldn't feel so agitated. They wouldn't feel so pressured. Well, and it, it, even if you gave them a little more time to process, because I think I think so much I say in, in my work and, and things that I talk about and speak about is so much is awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And the awareness is the the tools. How do you, what, what do you do to get there? Like, and what you're talking about is something that people are like, I don't even know how to do that, which is, it's, it's some of the fundamentals, but it's, it's not readily shared and taught. And, and yeah, it would be amazing if they did it at school, but let alone all the adults out there that don't even know how to do that. And I think I would have probably been one of those people if you passed me 15 years ago. I'm like, how? So I think, I think that's the beauty of, of people like yourself and myself and, and wanting to be out there to support others and putting messaging out there. It's just, there is some simplicity mm-hmm. as long as you're willing and open to going to that place for the few seconds or the minute or two or the five minutes of your day to learn how to just kind of access those parts of yourself um, to process, to feel, to, you know, 
decompress, to connect to Mother Earth, to ground, to connect your heart space. Um, I think there's so many people that just don't even know the how. So if we can start with our children, but also all the all the people in between the young and and where we are, or even older than never even have managed to be guided as to how to do any of that. Yeah, and I think it's happening, you know, Fawn. I think more people are interested in what I call active meditation. Like, um, I mean, we seem to have really opened up um, the ancient cultures with, you know, visits to sacred sites, haven't we? I mean, it's like we, yeah, many people who don't travel, but it seems to be everywhere lately. It's like, Gosh, you turn on a program and there's archaeology, you know, ancient stories, traditions. It's just everywhere, and and it's brought us back to this ancient feminine culture, but also pilgrim pilgrims and retreats and people wanting to experience Earth energy, you know, and bothering to take a flight somewhere. They're intrigued by it. Have you noticed that? It's like, oh, you know, I can want to go to the yeah, it's so true, right? So there are what Robert Hoon um, said about the Earth chakras on the planet, right? And I mean, what are those? What are those? But they are vortexes, right? That are are spinning in one direction or another. The energy beneath them is right, but they bring so much healing. So you're seeing a lot of people going on pilgrim, right, and experiencing this. But they're also, I, I guess, what they're doing is. Um, activating their nadis as well, like the vagus nerve meandering through. But as you're walking, you're activating your PNS system, you know, the parasympathetic system, as opposed to the autonomic nervous system, which is all about the fight, freeze, flight, faint, you know, stuff, right? So just going on an active walk or an active meditation can really calm everything down. So you don't have to take a yoga class or you don't have to, you know, um, do anything specific you can just go for a walk in nature and things calm down it is true and i will say in many ways social media can be a negative thing but i also think it could be such a positive thing because to your point people are drawn or people are seeing things and they're intrigued and then it is like if you didn't know sedona or shasta had these energetic portals and then there's actually tons of crystal shops that people have. Sh- there's shaman and uh, people that are deeply connected that are open to teaching people. And people are like, oh, that's interesting, just by being there um, mm-hmm. and not necessarily knowing, but it's it's creating the intrigue. Whereas before when I travel, I mean, you have a an atlas or something and you're just trying to pick the roads and go to the cities. But now there's so much more detail and content out there about even the places that you've gone to, or, you know, if you look into it, there's, there's more details provided now with travel information. And I think it's, it's drawing some of the intrigue that, you know, if you're not taught in history or somewhere in class and you didn't happen to get a book on it, um, and you just enjoy traveling. I'm finding more places now that mm. have energetic vibrations just from uh, different travel social media sites than I did with the education that I grew up with. So, totally. and that's a really good example of how you use the mind and the heart together, right? So, social media, if we use it well, and in this era of artificial intelligence and also the air sign, right? So, things are moving really fast, but also. Computers are filled with crystalline energy, right? But this is a perfect example of logic, right? Mind is logical and rational. And it's, it, it's getting us to search out somehow. I don't know about you, but things just pop up onto my screen and I'm like, Oh, I'm getting curious about that. And then, you know, I suddenly I drop into my heart space and it, I'm just, Oh, it's, I, I'm, I want to go there. I want to go and learn a little bit more, but. The truth is what's happening is that, um, you know, you want to go to these places. It's logical, right? Or what's, what's curious about it, but it's actually your heart that leads you there in the end of the day, isn't it? It's like you, you, you know, you've traveled. I've traveled. When you go to Manchester, they say it's the yeah. root of the world. You know, you've been there. You know that energy. You know how much love is there when you get there. 
not maybe yeah. not people, but you know the mountain speaks. So you know there is something that happens to your body, something that happens to your kundalini, something that happens to the rivers of your water, you know, to your body. There's a change in consciousness. So, and you know, recently I went to I went to a couple of places in Europe, and I guess I've got used to that feeling, and yep. it always meets you at the heart. It always meets you at the heart. It never meets you at the head. Does that make sense? It's like when you're going to these beautiful places, it's kind of, it takes you out of the head and drops you straight into your heart. Well, I would say that there's so many of them, like Shasta, when you see Shasta, it's breathtaking. Or you go to Sedona and you see mm -hmm. the red rock and everything. There's There's some kind of majesty, majestic impression or something. That just fills you. And you don't even necessarily have to know the why or that it's energetic. There's something that you feel, whether mm -hmm. you recognize what kind of shift it's having on you or not. Mm -hmm. Usually you have an essence and a sensation of it um, when you do see those things. Totally. It's not just seeing, it's actually, you know, even if you close your eyes and feeling it in your body, but it just, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure all of our experiences are different, but the more I found myself in these exquisite places, the more I just naturally, it feels like all the pathways are just lighting up my heart. Yeah. Well, I've wondered about that, you know, because it's not, it doesn't, it does, it just seems to not cross past there. It just wants to stay in my heart. So it fills me up, I guess. You know, it's encouraging that living from the heart, which is exactly, I think, what we're all being asked to do at the moment, you know, mother Earth can take care of herself, but she, that's when we go to those places and it's almost like she fills our hearts up. Yeah, that's true. It feels that way. Like she has so much to give. So much. And I know there are people that take, but we also, there are lots of people who give to her. So many yeah. people give to her. And as human beings, that's really our gift is that we are here, you know, to preserve the land. We're here. Or, you know, as the indigenous societies have taught us, is that we are keepers of the land. And, you know, the, the central theme for us has been about let, how do we stop warring? How do we make, save ourselves and save each other and love each other? You know, that's what it feels like. So being in today's era, what does it mean to be human? Humankind, be human, a human being. And, you know, so, it, it really, it, and when I talk about, you know, the ancestors and it running through our cellular level, this is deep. You know, it's our connection. Our human connection is so deep at a cellular level that our whole body experiences it. Our whole body from our heart to our womb. You know, and there's really, there really is just one language. And that truly to me feels like it's, it's all that we're sentient beings and it's all about the love. I agree. I totally agree. Is there any other aspect of this topic that you felt we haven't covered today that you wanted to bring up? Or did you, do you feel that we've, we've embraced much of what you were thinking about? Oh, absolutely. It's been beautiful. We've, it's been such a gorgeous conversation about everything that could possibly come up. And I hope I've, said enough intrigue about the earth nadis i'm really excited to share that with with people a bit more as as it comes in and it's just interesting you know when we collaborate that we have different pathways but somehow it comes together at the heart it totally does um well i'm going to go ahead i have enjoyed the conversation there's so much that I'm learning. And then I've also found so many ways that it, it overlaps and coincides and connects with a lot that I've learned and experienced on my journey. So I hope those in the audience are finding um, great, valuable pieces and bits from this, this conversation that you are gaining from as well. I'm going to have Nisha's uh, web link available. If you are interested in connecting with her and working with her, um, you can access that. You can also use my link if you want to go to the contact page and inquire about the loom. I can provide information to you about that. 
Um, and I also have my Instagram and my TikTok and things. So anybody who's connected with me on there can DM me if you're interested in the loom. And Nisha, it's been a wonderful conversation. Um, and again, like I said, I've, I've learned so much and I've gained so much from this dialogue and it hits so many of the areas that, um, I too agree with in the healing aspects of us and the planet and everything. Um, so, so wonderfully blessed to have you. Thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we, we send this off? No, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I've loved it and I've loved our chat and I love, love our loom. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you everyone for joining us on this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and uh, check us out next week for another topic and, and conversation. Have a great one. Thank you.